Morning, church. How's everybody doing? Well, I'm excited to preach the word this morning. Uh, before I begin, I, you know, it was really fun just coming to church. I love, uh, I love the summertime because of so many people traveling, seeing people in and out of town. It was awesome to see Katie and Ash from Fiji here. And, um, and then they, they brought some friends with them. Frankie and Mel came from Fiji as well. And I heard that Frankie is the cousin of Jacope. Is that right? So Jacope, our guitarist, they're cousins. And, you know, apparently everybody in Fiji is connected somehow. And so that's what they told me. But it's awesome to have you guys here from Fiji. It was awesome to see Lauren Heath come. And awesome to be able to visit with my uncle Kevin, who's in town from Detroit. And, uh, you know, so it's just been... It's it's always fun when it comes to the summertime because of the traveling, whether you're going or you're coming and stuff like that. And so um, I'm glad that you guys are here today because we're going to start on a like a a little mini series. We're going to do a series today and then Tuesday and then on Sunday we're going to be speaking about David. Okay, we're just going to look at the life of David. And I and I originally wanted to preach about David, but then I was like, there is so much content on David in the Bible. Actually, aside from Jesus, David is the most written about character in the entire Bible. And we have so much information about him and, and him as a king and his mindset, not just the things he did, but the also, you know, we know he wrote half the Psalms. And so not just what he did, but how he thought while he did it. And so there is so much richness in the Bible. We, we could actually probably spend a year on David and then we'd feel closer to him. But so we're, we're just going to do a short one. We're only going to spend the next three lessons on it. So if you're visiting with us, we have midweek on Tuesday nights at the Santa Cruz United Methodist Church. Come back. That'll be part two. And then next Sunday will be the final uh, closing to this very short mini series on David. And we started, you know, the title of it is Lions and Bears and Giants. Oh, my. OK, so let's pray before we begin. Father, we love you so much, and uh, I pray, Lord, that over the next three lessons that we can be inspired by your word, but we can, re- we can be inspired by David, this man after your own heart. Be with me as I speak, God, and be with our hearts as we receive your word this morning. In your son's name I pray, amen. You know, David, uh, David's life, it took place about the 11th century B.C., a little over a thousand years before Jesus came. And he lived in a very violent time. You know, the, the ancient warfare in the, back in the day, it, it, was, it was brutal. And, and he lived in this time where when you fought, the battles were fought, they were close combat battles. And battle was just a, day, just a, a part of life. When you got older, you went to battle. And it would be so intense. And I don't know if you guys, anybody here? No, you don't got to raise your hand if you've been in a fight. But if you've been in a fight, you know what I'm talking about, where adrenaline just kind of takes over. And you might have gotten like some kind of cuts and bruises. You don't really know if you got cuts and bruises until the adrenaline comes off. You know what I'm talking about? And these close quarter battles, we've seen the movies. We've seen Braveheart. We've seen Gladiator where the guys get done with the battle and they are covered with blood. And that is kind of what it would have been like. In ancient warfare where you would get done and you were covered with your blood, you were covered with the blood of your enemy, and then when you'd wash it off, then you would discover if you had wounds, if you survived. And it was just a time that that we can't really get a hold of because, I mean, 
it was gruesome. I won't get into it, but that's the, that's the intro for David here. Here we go. We're going to be talking about today, we're going to look at the most famous story about David, David and Goliath. And, and this, this story is so famous, it is permeated into pop culture nowadays. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, you know the story of David and Goliath in some way. You've heard it in some way. Sports Talks about it all the time. Oh, this is a David and Goliath matchup here we're here having today. We, we know about this, right? Uh, you know, the big guy versus the little guy. And we always root on the little guy, don't we? We always want to see the little guy take over the giant. You know, that's why, you know, I'm a Falcons fan and, and, and I hate the Patriots. I respect the Patriots. But I just don't like them because they're like the giants of the NFL. They just always win. You know, and we, we know this in sports. We know this in life when the under underdog... We want the underdog to win. And, and David, we'll see, people looked at him as the underdog, but David didn't look at himself that way. Because he just had a different perspective. Because man looks at the outward appearance, God says. But I look at the heart. And David is known in the scriptures, probably he is best known as a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't a perfect man. He wasn't a perfect king. He made a lot of mistakes. We'll talk about those the next couple of sermons. But David is known in this, by God as a man after his own heart. Oh, to be known like that. If you've never studied out David, I hope that this prompts you to go home and read more about David. Um, so in first Samuel chapter 17, we're going to start off verse one. Actually, we'll start at verse two. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Allah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. And if you don't have your Bible, you can follow up on the screen. And then a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was the Bible says six cubits and a span. I put up there nine foot nine because that's the, that, that's the translation there. Nine foot nine. I, you know, and I don't know, maybe nine foot nine, nine foot six, six foot nine. He's a big dude. Okay, this is a big man. And he is standing there. He had a bronze helmet on his head and a war coat of scale of armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, about 125 pounds, okay? And that, that's just his armor, okay? you got to be able to move and fight. And he's got 125 pounds of just armor on him, okay? He is a big guy, a, a towering giant. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves in a battle, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear was like a weaver's rod. It's about six feet long, and it's iron. Iron point weighed 600 shekels, about 20 pounds, 15 to 20 pounds, and his shield bearer went ahead of him. And the way they did battle back then, they would have this shield wall of just like men standing there with their shields, full length body shields standing there. And then the big guys like Goliath would stand behind them with their six foot or seven foot or eight foot rods. And Goliath, Goliath's tip of the rod weighed 20 pounds, 15 to 20 pounds, and it was sharp. And it was metal. And he would just stand back there as you're approaching the wall. As the opponent was approaching the wall, he would just stand back there and just just come down and just stab and stab and stab and stab and just do damage. Okay, That's, that was ancient warfare. It was bloody. It was in your face. You smelled the person you were killing. This is intense. 
And this is David coming up to the valley, or uh, Goliath coming up to the, to the valley to challenge the entire army of Israel. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, verse 8, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Why are you even here? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing... The Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now Saul was Israel's first king. They had asked for a king. And even though that wasn't what necessarily God wanted to do for them, he said, because you guys have asked, I'll give you a king. Samuel, the prophet who wrote this book, did not feel good about it. But God said, hey, it's not you that they're rejecting. It's me that they're rejecting. Give them what they want. And they picked Saul. Saul was a good looking dude, the Bible tells us. It says that he was over a head taller than everybody else. Saul was Israel's own giant. Saul should have been the guy out there fighting the battles. Leading the men like a king should lead the men. Right? But you'll read, as you know this story, Saul, this story is about David and Goliath. Saul, the king, was kind of nowhere to be found. You see, Israel had put their hope in a king. And what happens to us, and we know this story, when we put our hope in somebody or something and they let us down. You know, Israel had put their hope in Saul. And I just imagine, as Goliath was coming out there, the Bible tells us he came out there for days, two times a day, and he would be giving them this taunt for 40 days. I don't know about you guys, but like sometimes our giants just tend to get bigger the longer we let them haunt us. It's kind of like a credit card bill paying the minimum payment. You know what I'm talking about? It takes you a really long time. My first credit card, I had no training on finances. I was like 18 years old. I got a $300 limit. I thought I was rich. This was back in Georgia. You could buy a lot out there and for $300. And I don't know how I got to it, but I had an $800 bill, a balance there, because I would make the minimum payment and then I would be late a few times. And then, you know, like it was a good learning lesson for me of like, okay, you can't make the minimum payment. You've got to be responsible for your money. But that $800 bill, as a young kid in Georgia making $5 an hour minimum wage, that became a giant. And it just was like looming over me. And you guys know what I'm talking about. When you have those giants in our lives that we just allow to taunt us all the time, maybe it's money, maybe it's sin, maybe it's a relationship that you're just not dealing with, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the men had become hopeless because their king was nowhere to be found. See, we place our hope in what we depend on. We also place our hope in who we depend on. 
It's why so many of us, when, when, when we put a lot of hope in somebody or something, when that somebody or something lets us down, it can destroy us depending on how much hope we put in that person. You know, it's one of the, if I'm honest with you guys, my fears as a parent, because I know how I've felt when my parents have let me down and said, like, because I had so much hope. And then I realized they weren't perfect. You know, we all reach that point, right? Where we realize, oh, my parents aren't perfect. You know, they used to do everything right, but now they're doing some wrong things. And then, and, and, and it, because I had put so much hope in them, I, my, I had been let down a little bit. And that's what happens to each one of us. And it's going to happen to each one of us where we put so much hope into somebody or something and then we get let down. And see, Saul in this story is the man that Israel had put their hope in and he is just missing. You know where you find Saul in the story? In a tent, waiting. When he should have been out there leading his men. And then we go on and we then were introduced to the hero, David, verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. So the Bible tells us, you know, okay, now David, he, he's, he's in Bethlehem, which is about 15 miles away. And now we're going to talk about David. So I've got to tell you something about David because David becomes Israel's second king. And there's, there's three things that we need to know about David that really sets him apart from Saul being their first king and really makes David, David just so well-renowned throughout the entire Bible, like even to the point where like David was in the lineage of Jesus. Jesus was actually at some point called the son of David. Like to know David and to know these comparisons like, is, is almost to know Jesus better. So a few things you notice about David. David was focused. David was a man after God's own heart. Go on to that next slide. David was confident. David was confident and decisive because of his walk with God. And the other thing about David that we'll learn is David was humble. David loved the law of God, even when it condemned him, which it did at some points in his kingship. You know, it wasn't normal for a king to be like that. Because when you have ultimate authority, when you are king... And you mess up, you can kind of finagle the law a little bit to make you not look so bad. But David loved the law because he, 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 he actually knew who the real king was. He knew it wasn't himself. He knew who the real king of Israel was. He knew that God was the real king of Israel. David was never confused about the identity of Israel's two, true king. He knew that he was limited. He knew even though he was popular. He knew that even though he might have been talented. Even though God gave him some success. He never lost sight of who the true king of Israel was. Be, even when he wasn't king. And especially when he became king. 
David never lost sight of who the true king of Israel was. And see, guys, this is what happens to many of us. Success. Success confuses even the best of us. We get a little bit of success. Things start going our way. We start having a few victories in our lives. And all of a sudden, we're sitting on our own throne. All of a sudden, we're relying on our own experience. We're placing our hope in ourselves. And I appreciate it so much. I mean, you just appreciate so much of what Caesar talked about. And he, I think it related to so many of us about how we can rely on our status. David, the king of Israel, did not make that mistake. He didn't make that mistake. So back in verse 11, the Bible tells us that on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites, it says they were dismayed and terrified. And then David shows up to the battlefield. He's like 15 miles away, and he, he's just a teenager at the time. When he shows up to the battlefield, his dad had sent him on a little errand. He said, hey, son, take some bread and take some cheese. It's like all you need is a tomato, and then we got some pizza for your brothers and the guys out there. But David was only a teenager. He was barely enough, barely old enough to drive himself to battle. Okay, this is little David, the shepherd boy, the youngest of eight, shows up there. And then, like any teenager, he, does, he hears the ruckus going on because Goliath has come out to the valley to challenge Israel. And he goes to see what's going on. And David, this, uh, David responds by asking some questions. And let me tell you something. The questions you ask yourself and the questions you ask those people around you, they reveal a lot about how you view your giants. The questions you ask reveal a lot about how you view your giants. See, Israel was dismayed and they were terrified. They were hopeless. Their king, who should have been leading them, was not leading them. Let's pick up the story. Verse 26. David asked the men standing near him. He says, what will be done for the man who kills, kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now, up until this point here, what do we know about Goliath? We know he's nine foot nine. He can carry 125 pounds into battle and he can do some damage. He is a giant. How does David see him? This disgrace. David's perspective is just different. We haven't heard this yet from anybody. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? David is asking like, okay, who is this guy? He's not under the covenant. He's not under God's protection. What is he talking about? And why is he defying the armies of the living God? What is going on here? David is offended. He gets out there and he gets offended. And I love that about David. You learn a lot about people by the types of questions they ask. You learn a lot about how we view our giants by those types of questions. What am I going to do with my finances? What will happen if my, ki- if my kids make that decision? What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our family? We start asking these, these, these faithless questions. David, he's like, what? What happens to the guy who removes this disgrace? This guy that's defying Israel right now. Like, does he even know who he's talking to? 
David gets mad. And you just kind of wonder, like, where has that passion been in Israel? One look at Goliath. One listen to his taunts. And David, David, something's going on in his brain where he's like, I don't like this. I don't like how he's talking about my God. I don't like how he's defying my God. Guys, sometimes we let our giants talk louder than we are talking. And David wasn't having it. David's hope was somewhere else. I love it. I love it. Let's keep on reading. Word gets back to Saul. And, uh, you know, we, I skipped a couple of verses, and those verses, like, I, I skipped them for a reason, okay? Because in those verses, David's brother, his older brother, is like, what are you doing here, little bro? Like, why are you here? Why are you bothering us? You know, and, and I skipped it for a reason. It was intentional because sometimes when we're going to do something amazing for God, unnecessary battles get in our way. Don't get caught up in unnecessary battles. David did not even... Give his little brother the attention that he was looking for. We know David's good with a slingshot, right? We know what he does to Goliath. But he can't kill his little brother. He just ignored him. He's like, hey, you're getting in my way, little bro. I've got to go fight for God and his armies. Sometimes we are trying to do something amazing for God, and then we get so sidetracked by unnecessary battles that pull us away. You ever done that? Where we feel like I have to fight every battle, every social media battle. I got to fight it. You know, and it's like, why do we get caught up in stuff like that? David just kept going. Okay? There's a reason why I skipped it because David didn't care. David's like, we're, okay, let me get to the king. And he gets to Saul, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, this disgrace, this uncircumcised fellow. Your servant will go and fight him. And I could just... Imagine what Saul thought like, hey, I've got a guy that wants to kill him. And then David walks in, (laughs) the teenager, the youngest of his eight brothers and three of his brothers are fighting in Saul's army. And he walks in and Saul's like, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion, you know, those those Asiatic lions that roam our countryside, the ones that weigh 360 pounds out in Palestine, that's the male version or the female version ones that weigh 300 pounds. When a lion or a bear, you know, those Syrian brown bears that we have in our countryside, those ones that weigh 550 pounds. When they came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it. I didn't just protect the rest of the flock. I went and got the one that it took. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. You ever tried to fight a lion or a bear that's, trying, that's hungry? When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. He was close enough to grab the hair of that 550-pound 550 bear, that 360-pound killing machine. He, was, he grabbed the hair of it. When it turned on me, because that's what a lion does when you grab its hair and it's hungry, it turns on you. I seized it, I struck it, and I killed it. I love David. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You know, I don't know why Saul sent a teenager to go fight for, for, for the army, but this must have been a really convincing speech that David gave. Because the livelihood of all his men was at stake. And I think Saul was just so hopeless that he was like, you know what? Go. Just go. And you, I love David because he didn't, even though he had those, he had won those battles against the lion. Even though he's won the battles against the bear. Who's he give the credit to? The Lord who rescued me. The Lord who rescued me. You know, one of the key things to fighting the Goliaths is remembering the battles that God has gotten you through. We've got to have those times of reflection. You know, I remember, and I've shared it before, but Lashane and I, we went through some tough challenges when it came to getting pregnant. And before we had Levi, some of the, we, we decided we're going to, we, we lived as just, you know, a young married couple with no kids, and we just kind of do whatever we wanted. And I remember we were leading the singles ministry, and uh, at the time, some of them wanted to go run a Tough Mudder. And I've told a few of you this story. Tough Mudder's like 11 miles, and we were at, the, I think it was Lake, uh, is it Elizabeth or something like that, out in Temecula? Anybody know? Yeah, okay, something like that. Anyways, we're running a Tough Mudder. So I had trained for it, a few of us had trained for it. And um, two days before, Lashana decided she wanted to do it. No training. So we went and bought her some shoes, some running shoes, and she's going to do the Tough Mudder. And uh, you ever had, like, knots in your calves to where you just can't walk and you kind of have to, like, you're kind of, like, on the floor and your legs are, like, you know, just, you've got to have somebody stretch them. Okay, so Lashana got knots in both her calves and in probably a few other places at mile three of 11. I tell you what, and... and she heard it from everybody. Let's get the medic. Let's get you off the course. I told her she needs to quit at about four different times. That woman finished the race. 11 miles. And she learned that you don't do a Tough Mudder on, with just no training. But she made it through. I was so impressed. I mean, she just, she battled. For, it was probably like six hours that she battled and battled and battled. And then... We would, we would look back on that every now and then when things were just going tough and when there was something physically going tough, I would tell her, honey, you made it through that. You're fine. You're going to be okay. And then when things got emotionally tough when it came to having kids and we went through multiple miscarriages and multiple bad news and doctors telling us, hey, you're not going to be able to have kids. I mean, we had a doctor tell us one time, you guys aren't compatible. So you can't. And I'm like, what? Excuse me? I'm not compatible with her. I beg to differ. But he would tell us, you guys are not medically compatible. And this was like a, like a Hollywood doctor, like a famous doctor. And then, he, and then little did he know that we were actually pregnant with Levi in that appointment when he said that to us, which is funny. But we went through so much pain and, and trauma emotionally. And, and I remember getting to this place. And, and Caesar shared about his own story. And we had a story like that, too. 
where, where we just kind of decided, you know what, if we're not going to have kids, if it's not meant to be, then it's not meant to be. We're just going to, we're going to live lives for God. We love the ministry. We're going to give our hearts to you guys. And, and that's what we're going to do. And we are surrendered to the fact. And I remember, you know, you say you're surrendered, but then you know when you're really surrendered. And we got to that point where we, we knew we were really surrendered to let God do whatever he was going to do. And then at that appointment, we were pregnant with our son, Levi. And I've had to be reminded multiple times because I have complained about my kids. Anybody ever complained about their kids? I've needed those reminders. I've set in appointments at Ron and Cheryl Hammer's house where I'm complaining about my kids or I'm complaining about the lack of sleep that I've gotten. I've complained to you guys before about the lack of sleep that I've gotten. Or I'm just complaining about my kids and Ron and Cheryl are saying like, do you remember the miracle? Do you remember how much we prayed for you? Do you even remember, dude? Like, what is your problem? Why are you complaining? This is what you wanted. And I'm sitting there like, it always helps me to remember the miracle, to remember the journey, to remember what God's got us through. Even when we were given birth, I got to use the Tough Mudder. Hey, honey, you remember? You remember? You could do this. You could do this. You got through the Tough Mudder. And it's so funny. I don't, uh, I get a kick out of doctors asking women who have had children, what is your pain? On a scale of 1 to 10. You ladies know what I'm talking about? I'm like, how are you going to ask a woman who's given birth, what is your pain level on a scale of 1 to 10 when they go in there and they're feeling sick? It's like, if 10 is giving birth, then this is like a 2. But I need some medicine. So you can't tell them a 2 because they won't take you seriously. But if you tell them 8 or 9, it's like, well, I've given birth. This isn't close to that. You know what I mean? That's a side note. Sorry. The point is, you got to remember what God has delivered you from. See, guys, here's the point. Some of us are remembering the things that we should be forgetting. And we're forgetting the things that we should be remembering. Some of us are so, I mean, if I asked you right now, over the next 10 seconds, to write the top five things that has not gone well for you this week, you would write 20. If I asked you to write the top five things that has gone well for you this week, you might write two. And that's how it is. We, we just we got to train ourselves to remember what God has delivered us from. It doesn't mean we don't take ownership of our sin. David teaches us we need to take ownership of our sin and we need to change it. But we got to remember that God, when he sees us, he doesn't see someone that's just full of sin. When we've clothed ourselves with Christ, he sees his son. Do you remember that? How often do you think about what God did to get you to the waters of baptism? How often do you remember all that God has done? Take time to remember. David looked at Saul and he's like, I've killed the lion and I've killed the bear. God has delivered me from all of that. This guy is nothing. That was David's attitude. Remember. we got to stop remembering the things that we should be forgetting. The story continues. Verse 38. We'll close it out soon. Actually, verse 41. The next few verses, Saul tries to dress him up in his armor. 
And uh, David's like, this isn't going to work for me. i got my own stuff. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Listen, you cannot let your giants out smack talk you, okay? And that's what happens. Some of us, the giants sound a lot like Goliath. Like, who are you? That you come at me. Sometimes it's right in front of your face, but sometimes it's in here. Some of us have those giants. Those giants that are saying, hey, you're not good enough. I mean, what makes you think you can be victorious? You're just a loser. You're a failure. You're nobody. You're nothing. You know, we, we allow the, the voice in our, the, in our head, we allow those giants to be louder than us, but not David. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. And I love this. He's about to prophesy. He's like, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. Don't you love David? Don't you love David? You can't just get excited for that when David's saying stuff like that. He's like, I'm going to cut off your head. It keeps on going. You guys ready? This very day. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David just went gangster on Goliath. He did not let Goliath's taunts overrule his. Sometimes we have to, we got to, we got to silence our giants. We got to be louder than our giants. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys got to be louder than the giants that are going on in your head. The giants that are out there, you got to be louder than that. And David had so much confidence because of his walk with God. Because his hope was in the right place. We know the story. It took one shot. David grabbed a stone, one shot. And he fell. And just to make sure the job was complete, keep on scrolling through. As the Philistine moved, David stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. This is brutal. This is absolutely brutal. The Bible tells us that David took that sword and he put it in his tent. Because I'm sure David wanted to remember this victory. David made sure he saw killing his Goliath to the very end. He was thorough. Some of us, we go through, we have challenges, we have Goliaths in our lives. And we think we've won, but we haven't really won. David's like, no, let me cut off the head just to be sure. We got to see it all the way through. Those who hope in the Lord, like David, they see clearly. 
as we're closing out. They see clearly, next slide, they see clearly that it's God who's at work around you. Even when things seem bleak, even when there is a Goliath in front of you, even when there is a giant in front of you, they see God clearly through all of it. Those who hope in the Lord. They act with confidence. They're decisive. They're gritty. They're tough spiritually. Those who hope in the Lord. There is a spiritual toughness to them, and they are righteous in the process. And then they walk humbly. I love David. This battle is God's. It's not about me. This battle is about the Lord because David never forgot who the real king was and who was going to deliver him. Brothers and sisters, let's be men and women who always hope in the Lord, who are inspired by David and how he overcame his giants. We can learn so much from him. And I'm excited because, like I said, we're gonna, this was just part one. We're going to spend two more lessons on this as we look at David and his life and how and why he was called a man after God's own heart. Let's stand up and close in one final song.